That's who you are. The Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. We worship you. Great are you. We never cease to exist in the heavens and in our lives.
God would have his way, whether it's raising her up again for some more time with her uh, husband and her family, or whether it's a uh, peaceful home going. We want to pray for that. Uh, and her name is Rachel. Uh, and then also for uh, Sarah, John and Sarah. Um, let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning and we're aware again of the many uh, frailties of life, how it's, we know, we know that it's not, we don't have anything guaranteed to us more than this moment that you have given to us right now. And Father, in that we, we trust you and ask that you help us to Make the most of each moment that you give us. And I want to lift up John and Sarah to you this morning and the many uh, health issues that Sarah is having and, and sickness, whatever all they're going through at the moment today as they're in Arizona. Father, I pray that you would strengthen them in you, in your word, and physically as well, I pray, Father, that you would touch our sister Sarah and, and raise her up to health and to newness of life. I pray also for Phil's mom, Rachel, and, and for the family. Father, you know, you see, you have our days numbered. You hold us in the palm of your hand. And whether it's Rachel's time to go home to you after a life of living for you, or whether you choose to raise her up once again to uh, have more time with her family here. Lord, we pray that your will would be done, but mostly that you would give grace and strength to the family and peace to Rachel in this time as they pass through this time, whatever, whatever the outcome, Father, that you would be honored and glorified in life or in death, we know that both of those things be an honor and a glory to your name, and that's our desire. So I just pray for the family that you would touch them, strengthen them, and give them comfort this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, kids are sitting here ready for a lesson. Can I uh, teach you a lesson this morning? All right. I'm going to try to involve a couple people here. Oh. Hmm. Blake, come on up here. All right. We're going to do the story of the Good Samaritan and you're going to be the Good Samaritan. So, or I mean sorry, you're going to be you're going to be the guy that gets beat up. So, go ahead and sit over here. <laughs> Who do who do we think should be the guy that beats him up? <laughs> oh, Lucas wants to beat you up. All right.
well, most of you guys know the uh, know the story, so I'm gonna I'm gonna narrate the story and I'm gonna assign the parts to you, and I want you to come do them as as I uh, as I say. I'm gonna choose all people from the audience. You guys are gonna sit here and watch. Um, let's see if I can pull this up here. Uh, Phil, you're going to be the priest. <laughs> uh, Ali, you're going to be the Levite. Okay, you know what the Levite does. So when when I come to that part, you just come on around and and do what uh, do what they do. Where's Carrie? I had a special spot for him. Maybe if he comes back in here, I was, he was going to be the the good Samaritan. So, uh, um, and then uh, Lucas will be the the guy that uh, does the beating up. He's the big tough guy. All right. Do you know what the story of the good Samaritan was all about, or why that why Jesus told that story? That's the important part. Carrie. You're going to be the good Samaritan, so just when it comes to that point, uh, you know the you know the story. So we, we're going to have the priest, he's the preacher, and the Levite, a guy that works in the church, and the the Samaritan that nobody likes. So <laughs> 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 you were the only guy that I dared uh, insult like that. <laughs> All right. So, do you remember why Jesus told this story about the Good Samaritan? You're on the right track. So, a, a lawyer, a really smart person, stood up and he asked Jesus a question. Well, yeah, well, what, what was the question he asked? Yeah. Well, the lawyer first asked, he said, he said, well, what, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? What do I have to do for God to accept me? And Jesus told him, well, what was written in the law, what was in their Bible? And one of the first commandments that God gave the children of Israel way back then was to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and with all your strength all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we, we kind of know what it means to, to love God. We all say that we love God, but what does it mean to love our neighbor? And that's what this lawyer wondered. Now, I think he was just trying to trick Jesus. He's like, well, who is my neighbor? Who am I supposed to love? Who do you, th who do you think your neighbor is? So, yeah, everyone. Um, is Denzel your neighbor? You can be kind to him and love him, right? Um, how about people that you don't like? And that's what the story was ended up being about. Do you still love the people that you don't like? Ah, oh, that you better listen to this story because, well, let's see what happened. So, A man was coming down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So you come on down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on his way down, robbers came and beat him up and threw him in the ditch. 
All right. Now I think he's in the ditch. Well, then a priest came along. He's a preacher in the church. What did the priest do when he saw the guy in the ditch? Ooh. Well, that worked out well. We expect more from that than our preachers, don't we? They're supposed to be the good guys. Well, then a Levite came along. They're, they're pretty poor, important people in the church, too. Oh, he doesn't like the sight of a guy in a ditch, either. And then the guy that nobody liked came along the road. And he sees the guy in the ditch. Now, remember, the guy in the ditch doesn't like the guy that's coming along. Ah, we do need a donkey. <laughs> What's he going to do? It says he came to him, and he felt sorry for him. Oh, I'm not sure how sorry he felt for him. So he picked him up, took him to the hospital, which is probably by his mother, I don't know, and said, here, take care of him. <laughs> you can go sit down. Now, and then he paid to take care of him, which Carrie does that too. I think, he, I think he pays to take care of him pretty well. And then what did Jesus say? He said, you go do the same thing. That's how you're supposed to act. Ah, that sounds like a fun one. How do you think you can do that? What are, what are things that you think you could do that would be acting like the Good Samaritan did? Anything you can think of? What are things that you could do for uh, one of your siblings that you're not getting along with, someone in school that you don't really like, hmm. some of your friends at church that you all of a sudden one day decide you don't like? How are you supposed to treat them? Hmm. What happens if you get if you get mad at Denzel Caden? Are you going to let him play with your toys anyway and be kind to him? Ah, good. That's one good thing you can do. What do you think you can do if, you're, uh, if your sister's arguing with you, Tiffany? What can you do that's good? Can you do good things for her? Sing her a song? <laughs> Well, think about that, and remember, there's somebody you think you don't like or that you're upset with. Those are the people, God says. That's the test of loving your neighbor is how you're going to love people like that, right? How you're going to love the people that you don't think you're getting along with. So let's remember that, because there, that's um, even as, as kids, there's people that we don't really get along with sometimes. As adults, there's people we don't get along with sometimes. But those are the people that that's where the real test is to treat those people well. God says that's how you love your neighbor. All right, you can go back to your seats. Let's try to all love our neighbor this week.
Good morning to everyone this morning. I want to thank you for everyone that came out this morning. If you're two blocks away, I think we got one gentleman an hour plus away, so uh, for getting out there fighting his cold and stuff. And I kind of had to think a little bit of a analogy. Of course, I do it all the time. Is you know sometimes with this cold, and I had to kind of take that in in a spiritual sense, you know. And we get in this the fellowship here, and we just the warming, you know, you feel the warmth. It feels really good, and I just you know, and I had to kind of think, you know, in a spiritual aspect as well, you know, when we we gather together among believers, how you get that warming, just the uh, the connection of the body of Christ. Anyway, thanks again for coming. I uh, just want to thank you, the praise team this morning. I was very, very blessed in that this morning, and Anthony for sharing. Um, we've got Brother Phil sharing the word with us. Um, please hang around for lunch, if you would. Uh, there's lunch prepared after after the service. Um, I always remember the Saturday morning, the 7 a.m. prayer here. Um, it looks like the next men's Bible book study is scheduled for Wednesday, the 24th at 630. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, not this Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. So basically about another week and a half. Um, if you look at the bottom of your, um, uh, pamphlets here, whatever, um, as the majority of you probably have already known, my wife is involved in, it's called the Resource Center here in Greeley. Uh, it's a pregnancy center. Uh, they do a uh, annual a fundraiser. And um, Redeem is sponsoring a table here, and I think Carrie's are sponsoring a table as well. Um, so, yeah, if you'd like to get involved in this ministry or like to find more detail, uh, just contact Faith, my wife, and she can fill you in a little bit more on some of those details, exactly what's involved in that type of thing. Always just a reminder, we do have a uh, offering box in the back. Um, like you probably well know, it's a, a free will offering. Um, and it helps with the expense of the facility here and everything. Um, of course, when there is funds there, we're always willing and open to see needs that are around us that we can help in sharing that way as well. Um, <clears throat> with that being said, I think that is it for announcement. Yes, please do hang around for lunch. And uh, before we go into the, the message, let's just bow our head for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much again for your love and for your mercy and for your grace. Lord, I just pray your special blessing on Brother Phil as he Bring forth your word, give us open hearts and minds, and Lord, that we can be um, be able to uh, hear from you, and Lord, I just pray that we can be a blessing and encouragement to one another today. Thank you for your love, in Jesus' name, amen. about our trip to Haiti.
I'm just going to go real quickly through this. But it gives you, I shared a few photos on the WhatsApp. Uh, so those of you who were on the WhatsApp, you've seen the, some of the photos and videos that I shared when we were down there. <clears throat> and I thought for the rest of you who didn't see it or were not on it, I would share this this morning with you. So the the reason I went, we went there, not sure this is going to hold on. Yeah, that one's not stiff enough. The reason we went down there was my, my brother, my sibling, youngest brother Steve, uh, lives in Ohio. And um, he pastors a church there in Ohio. Thanks, Kerry. That's much better. And they have been involved. He's been involved in Haiti for many, many years, over 20 years. He and his wife lived there for some years. He was involved in what they called Water for Life. One of the big problems in that country is that um, they don't have fresh running water. Almost no one has good running water in the houses. Many houses don't even have running water. So they go to the streams and the rivers for their water. And the water is very polluted. Uh, and so there's a lot of sickness that comes out of that. And so they, they for many years, went around and they dug wells um, just with the hand pumps. And they would go to the, uh, try to put a well or two or three wells in each village, depending how big the villages were. Some years ago, he, he kind of moved away from that. It's still that Water for Life is still going strong there. But he was asked to be a part of GLA, or God's Little Angels. It's an orphanage that has been going on for around 29 years there in Haiti. So a long time. Um, and he now is uh, on the board there and the president of the board. And so they're working through, they have about 40 children that they're working with right now. And they needed some help. They, as you know, the country of Haiti is very volatile. The government and the political situation is, is dangerously volatile. The gangs run certain whole parts of the country. And, um, and so they were in close to Port-au-Prince with the orphanage. And um, one of their drivers uh, uh, who has a married family and was a part of the orphanage there was shot, killed, and his truck was robbed. And they lost a couple of the children to the gangs. And so they knew that they had to extradite them and get them out of there and extract them from that compound where they were living, that place. So they moved them um, about a four or five hour drive by truck over to La Kai, they call it. It's spelled Las Cays, to the western part of the country. And there they have a temporary housing uh, solution um, until they get the children to where they're now, their new goal is. They've partnered with another uh, American-based uh, mission called Overture. And they, some years ago, bought a big compound there that the, that the Catholic Church owned, about 150 acres outside of Lakai. It's really run down, grown up. They still operate a, a small clinic there and, and a little bit of a school. So they've partnered with that to bring their kids to that place they want to they want to build it's now just kind of an elementary school they want to take it to a middle school and a high school 
and then build a hospital, take the small clinic and develop it into a real hospital that can serve not only the children but the general public. So um, that was why we went down. We went down to help through some of the moving process. Um, and why is it not going on? Is it me? It's you. Okay. So that's my brother Steve on the left and his two sons, Kobe and Reese. Kobe's in the hat and Reese. And then Michael and I went down together with them. Um, and, and so that's kind of logistically what we did when we were there. And that's kind of the plan forward is they, they're really working towards the really cool thing about what they're doing with these children. I just want to share this is I, I was so blessed in many of the children have been raised in this orphanage over 29 years. And they realized some of the older children now that have come out of that have just been institutionalized. They grew up in an orphanage. They've never had a dad or mom. They've never had siblings except the kids. They've had nannies taking care of them. And you can imagine growing up in an orphanage like that. Now you're 18. They have to leave by law the orphanage. Who are they? Where do they belong? What do they do? They don't even know how to function in a home or in society. And so what they're now doing is taking these 40 children, and they've already begun this, and finding Christian Haitian homes that are strong homes where they're, they're there's discipleship in the home and that there's a family unit that is a blessing and strong and they take one or two of the children and t put them into those homes adoption is not even an option at this point in in haiti so they're going to sponsor these children in the home help the parents because so many haitian homes they could never afford that um, they, they can barely keep their own children alive and so the child needs some sponsorship, schooling, medical, um, and, and even some help with food. And so they're, they're now taking these children, instead of having an orphanage, putting them into these Haitian homes all over the country. And it's also safer for the children. Uh, some of the fallout uh, in the last few years in Haiti has been that there has been both in in the Catholic Church and in other places and in, in, even in Christianity, there's been child abuse by the nannies, by those overseeing them. The, the, the warlords have gotten really angry about this. And so they see the Westerners coming in and having orphanages as through that paradigm. It's child abuse and it's child slavery. And unfortunately, that is happening. And uh, so... They feel like this kind of uh, dilutes that with and doesn't give them so much traction over that. And it's just a better way to go for them. So that's what we were doing. I'll just flip through some of the photos here. Um, that's in Miami Airport. We left Miami. They were flying into uh, Haiti over Port-au-Prince. This is uh, the little airport in Lakai. We flew in the, into Port-au-Prince and just quickly went over to the other little airport in Lakai. They had chartered a small flight because it's so dangerous to be in Port-au-Prince right now. Um, we, we couldn't stay there long at all. Um, okay. So there you see where Port-au-Prince is, and then Lakai is down there where our photo is. So that's, that's where we, about an hour and a half's drive back toward Port-au-Prince, out toward along the ocean. Um, is actually where the where we stayed in, in in the country. It was very rural where we ministered. We were not in the city itself. There's where we ate breakfast every morning. 
That's a little cafe. This woman gets up at 5 o'clock in the morning, and oftentimes uh, a few of the days, I think two or three of the days, right, Michael, we, we got up around 5, and we were there at 5.30 because we had to head, head out, and she would make us these little things. What were they called again, Michael? Pates? Yeah, pates. So that's what my brother Steve has here in his hand. She would put a little wrapper, and it has like, uh, typically it was chicken. They have some chicken in there, and, and she deep fries it into kind of a, like a, um, a croissant, an enclosed croissant, and, um, and then she served us coffee. That's just a, a photo we took going down the street. There we were. We rode around in just a, an open Jeep is the vehicle that we had uh, for transportation. Thankfully, it only rained a couple times, but nothing very heavily all week long. That's the orphanage, the temporary housing where some of the children are. The lady in the white is the director there, and her and her husband are here. Her husband is a medical doctor, was trained in the U.S., and, and now is operating in Haiti. And so they are the, the leaders of, of the orphanage and now also going to spearhead the new hospital. And um, the, the, the lady is kind of spearheading the kids and the ministry there. And they have what we would call social workers. They're, they're going to have, instead of nannies working in the orphanage, they're going to go and visit these homes and support them and continue to follow up and assistance. There's some more photos of the children. That was my brother Steve there talking to. Steve is very fluent in, in, in um, Creole. Um, French Creole is the language they speak. And, of course, he's been down there for so many years. He has... A lot of friends and contacts. That was in Lakai. There's Reese with one of the children. Someone had come and had given the children some new toys and, and some candy and stuff, so they were, they were pretty excited about that. Michael and I with one of the boys. That's a part of the orphanage there where they're doing the laundry. There we were eating. We rode on the back of the truck. Um, a lot. It was hot. There's one of the wells. That's a very typical well, and that's how we filled up our drinking water every day. Um, just got one of those five gallons, went out to the well pump, and, and filled it up. That duplicated it. There's a there's a young family, um, younger. They're in now in their 30s, I think. Um, that they were trying to adopt, uh, are still trying to adopt a Haitian young Haitian boy. They they started back in 2010, and they're still not through the paperwork. And so they moved down there in 2010. He uh, worked with Steve uh, way back in, in the early 2000s for Water for Life, came home, got married. Now he and his wife live down there. And I love this brother and sister's vision. They, they decided they're going to live back in the, in the rural area there. And so we spent a lot of time in their house, but they're just going to live like a normal Haitian family. They're not going to build a compound with fences and gates and all of this thing. And it has been amazing what God has done through their – they have now five children and a couple Haitian children that they're taking care of. And um, he, they speak Creole fluently, but they have simply assimilated into the community and been a blessing. And his main mission is to disciple young men. And so he's working with about ten young men um, and, and discipling them in all kinds of things, teaching them trades. 
he he plays basketball and does lifts weights and, and and tries to keep him physically in shape and in fit one of the things that is a real problem in haiti is the culture is that the men are lazy drunks it's just how it is the men very few men want to work they lay around all day drinking themselves into a stupor and the women do all the work and the women go get the water the kids have to do the work in the garden and so this is a really bad problem in the in the whole culture so his whole mission this young man's mission is jason is to take young men when they get born again and he works with other pastors local pastors in the area and disciple them every day they show up at five o'clock or 5 30 and they do this major workout and 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 then he teaches them work skills and and tries to find them jobs or gives them jobs and puts them out into the fields and it's really neat and his wife is just is has has really been a blessing there's like she said there's always someone on our doorstep <laughs> and uh they're blessed we we went fishing he this is jason's boat he does he also does like the haitians that's jason there with michael he lives off the land and so one of the things they live very close to the ocean here uh to the to the shore and so he has this boat and pretty much every day they go out and fish and they live off what they catch and so they eat a lot of seafood and so one day we went out uh we went out snorkeling and caught a lot of um crabs right michael lobsters thank you lobsters and we had we had lobster that night and uh, it was fresh it was delicious and she prepares all this food so Michael went out with him one time. Um, he went out at 5 in the morning or 5 or 5.30 early in the morning. And those are some of the fish they came back with. There they're coming back. That's them leaving early in the morning. I didn't go with him that time because when we went out snorkeling um, and looking for the the lobsters, I got terribly sick. And so I was out there in the boat just puking my guts out and I said that's it I'm not going out fishing tomorrow no way <laughs> spending four hours in that boat being miserable so I stayed at home that's um, that's at overture actually with the Jeep that was a typical dish right there um, a couple of legs of chicken and they have what they call um, what were those like potato like things Michael what were those potato like things Bananas. It was like a deep fried kind of fried, a deep fried rice patty, and they, they call them bananas. That's a typical dish with a couple eggs of chicken, and then they would give us some rice, and usually they put some onions on it. This was a rare one in that they gave us avocados, but usually they they put some onions and sometimes a little bit of uh, lettuce on it. We went to this little town, and the, the kids right outside the school were playing street soccer, and we had a lot of fun with that. Here we're walking through the compound at Overture. Um, there's, a, there's a house there that Steve wanted to look at back in the back part of it. He and his wife are feeling like maybe in a year or two the Lord wants to move them down permanently once their kids are. Uh, Reese is going to graduate, I think, next year. And uh, so they're praying about moving out. We went on a this long hike way back in some of the remote villages and up over a steep mountain. And there we actually found an orange tree. So Jason and our Haitian guide there were giving us oranges right straight from the tree. That was delicious. 
That was the view from up on the mountain peak. That's another well where we stopped for some water. And I think this is the last photo. This is this is the compound where we stayed at, the little house. It wasn't really a much of a compound. But the house was right along the shore, which was uh, very nice. We we stayed there um, at that house because it's the house that was owned by Water for Life, and it's where Steve and Zoni actually lived when they spent time down there. Michael, you want to come up and just share a little bit about your experience? I'm going to let you tell the church what you um, what it was like for you. You want to grab a mic? Can you have a mic? Anthony has a mic for you or Carrie does. Hello. Okay, so it was a lot of fun. Um, they all have iPhones, no Samsungs, and streetlights. <laughs> um, or at least that's that's mostly what I saw. We got a we got a so the Jeep they had there at Overture, which we were riding around. We could stand on top of that thing, and uh, that's when I learned to wear my sunglasses because the bugs, of course, would smack into your eyes and face. And very not fun. Uh, the pâtés were so good. Their coffee tasted like pure sugar. That's the only way I could drink it. Like you could barely taste coffee in that. It's just sugar. It was. And um, we. It, oh yeah, they they mostly only drink Coke, and they bottle it there, so it's made out of cane sugar. And stuff, but usually um, you'll always see at least 10 people drinking a Coke. Uh, where in the city, you can definitely see at least 10 people everywhere you look drinking a Coke. Mm -hmm. um, they blast their music way too loud in some restaurants. <laughs> you know, in the US, you see in a restaurant, you know, music just nice and in the background over here is so loud that you can barely talk to each other. Once we were going into this restaurant, and uh, Steve walked in and just turned down the volume on the thing, and <laughs> everyone was looking at him like, what are you doing? And then we found out they didn't serve any, they ran out of food there. So then we left and went to other place, and uh, that was really good. And uh, the beach house, shall we say, the resort, <laughs> was uh, really fun. It was actually not that bad. The house definitely was worse than the beach. But That's right. You know, <laughs> um, I had to sleep on the floor because, um, yeah, apparently I take over the entire bed. So, <laughs> um, Anyway, so that wasn't too bad. We saw like two roaches in the first night, except then they disappeared. The mosquitoes were not as bad as I thought, only in, like, the cities and stuff. And uh, we, uh, from Overture, the first day, we came back, uh, and it was dark. And so it felt like we were flying through the roads. And then once the suitcase, when we were going over to turn, our suitcase got yeeted off the side of the Jeep. <laughs> and... It didn't break, so thank the Lord for that. Uh, the rope got caught in the tire, and there was a semi coming up behind us, so we had to go, like, get that, like, all packed up and get going. And then once, we hit mirrors with a semi, then another time, a semi almost pushed us off the road. 
And uh, yeah, so the scariest part of Haiti is Steve's driving. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't that bad. Like, you know, I'm worried in Port-au-Prince and stuff, but the thing that really scared me was his driving. Like, every time we go out to a city or something, it'd be like, oh no, is like this the end? You know, I, I, I didn't know. <laughs> you know, it's super dangerous driving there. Surprisingly, no one crashes. We had some pretty close calls. Um, the best part, we took satellite, or no, what are you, solar panels. Yes, we took solar panels to Overture, and on the, we had, like, mats, like, uh, what do you call them? Old mattresses. Mattresses, and, uh, you know, so they wouldn't break, so on the way home, I wanted to be in the back, and so it was just so scary, you know, looking out and being like, uh, what's going to happen, you know? So... The best part was, so once we got out of the city, we just laid down on the mattresses, and I practically just snoozed the entire way home. <laughs> that made that's probably the best ride I've ever had, because I didn't have to look at the traffic. <laughs> and um, the beach was very salty. The the ocean water was salty. The ocean is actually rising there, so like, for you can go a long way, and it just grandly like goes down so it's not that deep uh, all the coral reefs are dead except one and it's more like a rock you know mm -hmm. just uh, looks like a meteor in the ocean and uh, so uh, what was his name Jason mm -hmm. okay so when we got lobsters he would take the lobster rip off its head and then rip off the tail and just keep the middle thing and putting it back. It's so disgusting to look at. I'd just like <laughs> look away and then I'd see it floating down to the bottom of the ocean. There was a couple itty bitty jellyfish. Um, the snorkels we had that me and dad got were absolutely trash. Um, mine kept on filling up with water and like everything was just falling apart. Eventually it started filling up so much I just stopped using them. Um, when we went snorkeling, it was really cool there. I cut myself on the rock probably without knowing because when my snorkel fell off, I was really sort of starting to panic for everybody. You know, don't panic. That's what they all say. So uh, we went on top of a rock, and that's probably where I cut my foot. But then we got back, fixed that, and went back out, and he got so much lobsters. And then also once, like, I don't know how he can dive that deep. Like, my head hurts and I go down that deep. So anyway, once he's going down in a little cave, and he got one, and he's coming out and bonked his head on the on the rock there and made it back out. I heard Steve got stung like twice by a uh, jellyfish. And what uh, Jason did whenever a jellyfish came close, he just stabbed it with his spear gun. And uh, I'm sure the jellyfish is long and happy and dead um, by now because I don't know how you can survive that. Um, sorry. Okay, and uh, snorkeling was fun. And I did, poor dad got so sick. I, I was looking up on my way back because we were, went to another spot and we're looking at this like sea cave and stuff. And so I saw no one in the boat and I was getting worried, maybe he got you know, thrown off or something. So I came up and he's just laying down moaning. And uh, it's okay. 
I, I asked him, and I'm like, oh, I forgot your motion sick. You get motion sickness. And he said, well, I never really, I haven't ever gotten motion sickness on a boat. Like, I, But where we were, right where we parked the boat, pretty much, <laughs> it, the waves were like really, they were almost breaking, uh, some of them. And so they, you go pretty high. So no wonder he got sick. But then the next morning, we woke up probably at like 2 or 3 Colorado time. I never changed my watch time. So I always know what time it is in Colorado. So like if it's two hours ahead, I just count two hours ahead. So I can always look down and see what time it really is. Uh, New Year's Eve or New Year's, um, we went to bed. And then we woke up at about the time when Mom and Caden went to bed. I was talking to Caden. They said they were going to bed at 1. Mom and Luke went to bed at 1. That's when we got up. So, yeah, that was interesting. I was telling Dad, I'm like, wow, we're getting up and they're just going to bed. You know, that's that's pretty weird. But um, it was great. So that's all I can think of right now. So thank you. I'm in a country like that. Turn your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 1. As you know, uh, <clears throat> Eli and I are uh, felt the Lord leading us to go through this book. And the first time that um, I shared from it, I kind of just went through chapter 1. And Eli took off at chapter 2. But we both felt like the Lord wanted us to come back and kind of do a more careful walk through chapter 1. Because in, in chapter 1, the most... Am I on? Am I on? Yeah? Okay. In, in chapter 1, what you see, uh, the prominent conclusion is Christ. It's Christ. He is before all things, verse 17. And in Him all things hold together. Verse 16, for by Him all things were created. He created everything. He was before everything. And in Him everything holds together. You know where we make the mistake? A lot of people attribute that to God as their Father. But they don't give that glory to Christ in their life. We don't recognize that I was created by Christ. I was, I was created by Him. I live through Him. And my whole life is to Him. And the only way you can give your whole life to someone like that is if you recognize He created you and He sustains you. Outside of that, you're dead. You are immediately dead towards God. You cannot have a relationship with God the Father unless it's through Jesus Christ. You can't. You can't love God unless you obey Christ. You can't. There's no way. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. 
No man comes to the Father but by me, John 14. Unless Christ has that full, all comprehensive, that means complete, vision, recognition, and surrender of your heart. This is just a theory to you. That's it. You'll blow right through this first chapter of Colossians and say amen, and nothing changes in your life. Nothing. You'll get up tomorrow morning and live it just like you did yesterday. But if you come to this amazing word and let the Holy Spirit open up your eyes as he prayed in verse 9, that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, and not just be filled with that knowledge. He doesn't just say, give you all this knowledge and overwhelm you with it and leave you there. He gives you the knowledge of who He is and then He gives it, He breaks it down for you in spiritual wisdom. Wisdom is taking what you know is right and doing it. That's it. It's that simple. You are only as wise as your obedience is to Christ. Jesus made it that simple. Read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the first sermon he gave in his ministry. And he ends it, there are some wise people in this world and some foolish. There's no one in between. You're either wise or you're foolish. Can someone tell me what made, how Jesus said, is your gauge of whether you're wise or foolish? What did he say, Tim? You have a foundation. And what is the foundation? Jesus. How is that? What makes Jesus your foundation? Yes. How does he save you? Through obedience. He said, the wise person hears my words and does them. The foolish man also is in church. He dresses just like everybody else. He smiles and nods and says amen to the preacher. He sings songs and lifts up his hands and he looks like he's worshiping. He's singing the same songs, maybe louder than you are. But his heart is not obeying the words he's singing. They're not true. His mind is thinking other things. Maybe he's even thinking how I can impress people. I'm spiritual. He might even come up here and preach really good sermons that are riveting and interesting for you. But he doesn't obey. He's a fool. He's the most foolish man in the world. That's what Jesus said. Is the gauge of wisdom or foolishness in every one of our lives? Both here. One does the other one doesn't. And so as we come back to Colossians chapter 1, the Lord focused to my heart in on verse 3, 4, 5, and 6. So I'm going to look at those, those 1, 2, 3, 4 verses. Let's look at verse 3. We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. What was he praying for? 
I want to just challenge you with this. Many of us ask for prayers. We just did this morning. Praying for physical health for my mother, my mother-in-law. But do you know what we pray the least for? Most of the time, our prayers are earthy. They're here, earthly. Good health, financial blessings, help with all the problems and the troubles of this life. If that's where your prayers are, your prayers are short-sighted, as First Peter says. They're short-sighted. It's actually Second Peter chapter 1. They're short. That means they're simply you prayed for the temporal. Everything is going to pass away that you prayed for. Everything. Are you praying for temporal things or eternal? Fathers and mothers, when we pray for our children, what are your prayers centered for? Around their earthly success, good schooling, they do their school well, Oh, give them grace to grow up and be prosperous financially. Be wise in this world. Or do you pray for their eternal welfare? I tell you, this will change your prayer life radically. Look what Apostle Paul's prayer was for the church at Colossae. Look what is missing in his prayers. That's what I ask you to look. Sometimes when we look at a glass, as they say, some see it, half full of water, others see it half empty. If you're looking for the short-sighted prayer for the earthly, you're seeing the half empty. If I were to give a glass, I'll just use this for an illustration, my little smoothie this morning. How full is that? Anyone want to ask, answer? How full is that? A little bit of smoothie. <laughs> Jemiah wrinkles his nose. Sorry, Jim. <laughs> It's like, for what? It's a quarter empty, is it? 30 seconds full. Full of what? I'd say it's mostly full of air. See, it all depends what you're looking at. If you look at this or the capacity of it. That's just a little illustration. Look what is missing in Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae. If we began to pray for each other as we come to each other with our earthly needs and we prayed this kind of a prayer for each other, would you be offended? Or would you be encouraged? Or would you feel emptied like he didn't pray at all for what I need? Let's read the prayer. Since we heard of your faith, verse 4, in Christ Jesus, your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which you have for all the saints. He heard of that. Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, which you previously heard in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you just as in all the world, also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now he's just leading up to the prayer. And you can read the prayer. I'm actually going to change a bit here because you can read the prayer in verse 9 through verse 12. 
And I encourage you to do that. I think that's kind of where I focused in the last time. This time I feel like the Lord wants me to look at verse 4 and look at these two, the testimony of their life. We heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. That's where it starts. Your faith in Christ Jesus. Out of that faith springs the love which you have for all the saints. I was reading um, a book. You, you may do this. I do this a number of times. I'll go into my bookshelf. It's a new month, and I'll say, what kind of book shall I read this month, Lord? And there are many books that I've read, sometimes once, sometimes numerous times. Sometimes I've read them once, and they go in the bookshelf, and I didn't, haven't read them for years. This happened to be one of those. I pull out a book, George Whitfield's testimony, his biography. You know who George Whitfield was? He was a guy who was a preacher back in the 1700s in England. And he was, uh, he was a co-worker with the Wesleys, Charles and John Wesley. You probably heard of them, where Methodist comes out of. The Methodist movement came out of the Wesley uh, Brothers Ministry in England and throughout the world in, the new, in, in America when it was just the, col- uh, the colonies in America, mostly in Georgia. Whitfield was a contemporary of these guys. And so I thought, I should should read about his story again. And I started reading through Whitfield's uh, first couple chapters there in his testimony when he was just a young man, 19, 20 years old. And he went to um, Oxford and and began to study uh, under John Wesley. And he gave his whole life to his studies. Oh, he was seeking God with all his heart. And his journey began with a journey of doing. What can I do for Jesus that makes me authentic and real? What can I do for Jesus that impacts the world? He felt a call of God on his heart to be used in the kingdom. And so he focused on what can I do? And as he began doing, fasting, praying all night, going out preaching the word, going evangelizing the lost, going just giving his heart and doing, 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 he was completely empty inside. And the more he did, the colder his heart became, the more unfulfilled he felt. And as he wrestled and struggled with this, because he was going to the place where he'd look at the word of God, and as Jesus said, the wise man does, the foolish man doesn't. And so he was focused on the doing, the doing, the doing part of it. And as he was sharing the gospel with this older couple, just a peasant couple, very poor, he was just sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said, now can I lead you in a prayer? But he was, they were being trained in Oxford in those days that to make it, to lead someone to Christ, there is this catechism, as it were, this, in, this time of instruction that you have to take a soul through before they can have their sins forgiven and be right with God. And so he was coming to them with this method and, and saying, now you need to do this. And, and this older couple just looks at him and says, I believe. Can I pray? And he said, Sure. And they prayed, and as they were praying, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began just praising God and and worshiping the Lord. My sins are forgiven. My sins are forgiven. They began to rejoice 
in their salvation. And Whitfield was like, what just happened? And he went home to his little room in Oxford and he was like, they found something I don't even have. What the joy of forgiveness and the blessedness of their Savior and, and this new relationship that happened in a prayer. So simple. How? Where am I missing it? And then the Lord led him to this book. You ever read this book? You ever heard of Henry Scogel? So he wrote this book, a young man, 24 years old, when he wrote this book. 1704, I think it was. I may have my years a little wrong. George Whitfield found this book in the library in Oxford. And he began to read. The life of God in the soul of man. I want to tell you something, dear brothers and sisters, just to encourage you with this reminder. In case you think that we are living in a civilized generation where we are increased in the knowledge of God more than anyone had since the generations from the dark ages until now, you are fooled. You are fooled. You are ignorant and proud. You have no idea the men who came before you. Start reading the work of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these young men and women in the 1500s, 1400s even. I think of the lady they called Madame Guillon. You heard of her? In the 1400s, a French woman. You should read her story. It's amazing. Changed my whole life when I first read it back in the year 2000. I couldn't believe it. Just, I don't even remember who gave me the book. Someone told me you should read this book. Experiencing the Depth of Jesus Christ is the title of the book. You can Google it and buy it for a few dollars on Amazon. That's what George Whitfield found. And I was reading that, I just stopped and I said, wait, I remember reading that book back in like, I think it was 2000 or 2001. I wonder if I still had that book. So I went down in my library. I found it. Someone had given it to me back then. So on my trip to Haiti, I read these two books. It's a bit of a hard read. It's good to read slowly. And when you read writings that the how they wrote in the 1700s, you'll read slower. Yeah. He writes this. Mistakes about religion. He's talking about a relationship with Jesus or Christianity in their era. I cannot speak of religion, but I must lament that among so many pretenders to it, so few understand what it means. Some placing it in the understanding, in orthodox notions, 
and opinions and all the account they can give of their religion is that they are of this or the other persuasion having joined themselves to one of the many sects whereinto Christendom is most unhappily divided. Others place it in the outward man, in its constant course of external duties and a model of performances. If they live peaceably with their neighbors, keep a temperate diet, observe the returns of worship, frequent the church or their closet, and sometimes extend their hands to relieve of the poor, they think they have sufficiently acquitted themselves. Others again put all religion in the affections, in rapturous heats of ecstatic devotion. And all they aim at is to pray with passion, to think of heaven with pleasure, and to be affected with those kind and melting expressions wherewith they court their Savior, till they persuade themselves that they are mightily in love with Him. And from thence they assume a great confidence of their salvation, which they esteem the chief of Christian graces. Thus are these things which have any resemblance of piety and at the best are but means of obtaining it or particularly exercises of it frequently mistaken for the whole of religion I'll stop there which one are you you notice he had those three categories of people some are on the doing who they belong to that's how they, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Protestant, I'm a Pentecostal, I'm a Calvinist, I'm an Armenian. I believe this, I believe, I go to that church. That man, he's my pastor. I go to that church. Have you ever heard of so-and-so? I go to that church. I am this, I am that. And by our sex, our divisions, our, we identify ourselves in Christ that's the danger we identify ourselves in Christ by the church or the program or the denomination to whom we attend and it gives us confidence in our Christian life oh I'm a good Christian our doctrines are right others say oh no 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 it's not you we're non-denominational we don't belong to any denomination. Denominations are evil and they divide Christians and so we have nothing to do with that. We're all about, we practice piety, discipline. We are of Christian discipline and so I'm disciplined with my diet, I'm disciplined with my prayer life, I'm disciplined with my serving the church, I'm disciplined with every Sunday, I never miss a meeting, I'm disciplined with, I go to every prayer meeting and every Bible study and, and, and oh, I'm full of hospitality. Look how we serve people, we open our homes to people and I'm a good Christian. Oh, and by the way, I read the Bible through so many times a year. Oh, and I also read good old Christian books, the real stuff. What are you reading? 
And then others say, that's just stiff and cold. And worst of all, that's just pride. But you don't show any emotion. You don't have any feeling for Jesus. You're doing all this, but, you know, you sing three songs and you sing quietly and you're disciplined and you're not emotional. You need some fire of the Holy Spirit, man. You've got to start speaking in tongues. You've got to start yelling and shouting and put some feeling and emotion into your Christian experience. That's your problem. My Christian life is emotional. It's real because I feel it and I see it. I'm the real Christian. Who's the real one? You're in one of those three, whether you like it or not. One of those three gave us confidence towards God unless there's a fourth, which may be a part of any of those three, but it's not it. It's not it. There's this couple who hosts a, 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 a Christian bookstore called Rare Christian Books out of Missouri, Dixon, Missouri. Years ago, the couple sat together. They ministered within the body of Christ throughout a lot of denominations. And as they started their bookstore, they, they wrote this book together. And I remember reading it back in the late 90s, early 2000s. Again, I'm going to refer back to that because that's when the Holy Spirit filled my life and changed me drastically. And, 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 and so that's when I began to really passionately read things I had never read before in my Christian life. They wrote a book called Him or It. That's the difference. Are you relating to Him through an It? Through something that is done by others or by you and that's how you relate to him or are you in him and here's the proof if there is no it in your relationship with Jesus Christ that means you never arrive to anything you are nothing in him identifies you by anything you believe, say, or do. It is simple faith and love and hope. And the greatest of these is love, 1 Corinthians 13. Because that's the one that's going to remain. Hope is going to pass away. In heaven you won't need any more faith. But there's no it in my relationship with Jesus, so I never arrive. And here's the beauty of the freedom. When you live like this in your relationship with Jesus Christ, He becomes all things to you. He takes, as Colossians 1 later says, the preeminence in your life for, from Him, through Him, and to Him becomes your life. So He has the total authority to change up any conviction you may have. Any knowledge you think you have of Him, any practice of your love for Him, He has the right and the wonderful privilege to change it at any time. And you'll follow Him. He may lead you out of the church you were born into. He may lead you out of relationships you were born into or 
you were born again into. You know, those relationships where you get born again, someone leads you to Christ, we say, and you you get you embrace those people, they become your people, and their God becomes your God. And a few years later, the Holy Spirit separates you to himself in ways you had never imagined. Does he have that right to do that? Or does that disturb your faith? Does that distract or even pollute your love for the saints? When he does those things in your life, then you know you have an it in your relationship with him. Something he has brought you to like a plateau in your life. And now you're camped out right here in the love of God, in the love of his church. And this is who you are in the body of Christ. And I'm going to die right here. Nothing will move me because this is Christ to me. And then one day you hear a word, come up higher. What? Follow me. I can't follow you. You brought me here. This is you. Follow me. Will you go? Without condemning this, then you know he is it. He is all things. He has the preeminence in your life. And you reserve no judgment of yourself or of others in your life. He does. He does. But that will only happen as your faith is in Christ. And that's what Paul is thanking this church, God for in this church. He heard of their faith in Christ Jesus and their love for all the saints. I'm going to leave it right there and take off from there. Lord willing, next Sunday. Because those two are not the way you think normally. Unless he has that right to renew my mind, make me a living sacrifice, Romans 12, by renewing my mind, which will transform my life. Now I'm going to see that it's not the way I think it is. My faith in what he does or people has nothing to do with my faith in him. That's a whole different level. And that sets you free from so many things that easily entangle us, ensnare us, and as Hebrews 12 says, they hinder us. They encumber is the word the King James uses, which simply means they, it's hard to walk this way. They weigh you down. And that's the truth that you can lay aside all these weights and the sins because weights leads you to sin, which so easily entangle us and trip us from Him being our forerunner, the only one we follow only one you don't follow anyone else only him and the only time you follow anyone else is when you as Paul said follow me as I follow Christ when you see Christ in that person 
You're not following the person. You're following Christ in the person. Big difference. And that difference you're experiencing right now, whether you know it or not. Because you know what the difference is? In every one of our lives. Tim, would you close your eyes and open your mouth for me? He's going to do it. No, he's not. He's chicken out. He's chicken out. Good for you. You're more spiritual than I thought you were. <laughs> See, that's a little trick the boys always like to pull on us. Dad, shut your eyes and open your mouth. Where are your spiritual eyes this morning? Did you just open your mouth and shut your eyes and let me spoon feed you? That's what's happening to a lot of Christians. They come to church and they hear their preacher preach a sermon and they go out trying to live it. They open their mouth and close their spiritual hearts and said, oh, wow, that was a good sermon. And nobody checks him out. Nobody goes and actually reads the scripture. You know what I see when I preach? Wherever I go, one or two have their Bibles open. I'm serious. Very few follow the scriptures. They follow me. They're not checking it out. They don't even know if I read it wrong unless it's drastically. Like sometimes I do that on purpose. I, I read a verse wrong and see if the people will catch it. And most times if, I, if it's radical enough, they're like, oh, that doesn't sound right. Dear brother, sister, that's what I'm talking about. Is your relationship to God, is your doctrine, is your, is your religion established, promoted, encouraged, and is the end result through me? Through the ones who share the music? Or is Jesus able to put a new song in your heart that no man taught you? David said, you have put a new song in my heart. Brand new. He didn't learn it from men. He didn't get it from men. It came from the Holy Spirit. He just started singing. That's not just for songwriters. That privilege is given to every child of God. It's the word of Christ dwelling in you richly. Later in Colossians. How so? Because I'm feeding it to you? For an hour on a Sunday morning, and well, that gets old. Come on, it's been. Or are you receiving it from Christ? And when you hear a word, and you think it is Christ, look for him. Follow him. Because that word is eternal life. My words are spirit, and they are life, Jesus said. Not Phil's words, not Carrie's words. Not the song words that someone penned. His words when they're spoken by him into your heart. God bless you. Thanks, Brother Phil, for those words. Uh, it very much touched my heart and encouraged in, in that way. Uh, you know, we hear these saying, talk is cheap at times. And, you know, for me, it's like, 
am I doing the walk or am I doing the talk? But making sure my walk matches my talk and vice versa, my talk matches my walk. And uh, anyway, that's just a, uh, for me, that's always been kind of a, uh, a guide or a gauge for me is like, you know, so many times we, we speak like you just sharing is, we can all speak, but you know, um, I always heard this saying too is, you might be the only Jesus that someone has ever seen. And so many times is, and through that is through our walk a lot of times. When we go out of these doors during our, our weekly duties, what do, what do people see? Do they see talk or are they seeing our walk, imagine our talk? Thanks again for coming. Yes.
Thank you. Anybody else? Amen. Thanks again for coming. Uh, we'll just bring this to a close of our service. So, yeah, please do hang around for lunch if you would. And uh, why don't we all rise and have the benediction and the blessing on the new meal. Uh, Tim, would you care to close this in prayer? Dear Lord, <clears throat> thank you for this body, Lord, this church, and what you want to do in each one of our lives. I just pray, Lord, that uh, we take advantage of that, that we'll not be lazy or, um, or just have our thoughts and our hope in this world, but have our hope in you. And I thank you, Lord, for um, <clears throat> this church and each family here. And I just pray that you continue to help us to follow you and to serve you. And thank you for the food in Jesus' name. Amen.